Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, we've got a great guest, Kelsey Hudspeth, who is the industry consultant specializing in supply chain and sustainability over at IBM. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you being on here. Thank you so much, Maria. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> great. Well, you know, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Absolutely. So, um, as you mentioned, I am an industry consultant um, that specializes in supply chain and sustainability uh, here in Munich, Germany, although I myself am not German. Um, I come from the U.S., but I've lived, been living in Munich for about three and a half years now. Um, I work at the IBM Watson Center, a Munich Center here in Germany. Um, we are one of a couple of different client centers around the globe where IBM looks to showcase the art of the possible when it comes to technology and digital transformation. So essentially my job every single day is to inspire executives um, and client groups that come to the center to learn about areas of technology. Um, I, what I really try to do, um, especially on my team, when it comes to supply chain and sustainability, is to really bring to life these concepts around these emerging technologies and these buzzwords we like to see or that we hear in the boardroom. So it's things like blockchain, things like IoT, things like AI, and how do we actually make those um, not only realistic and, and understood by people who are perhaps not from a technical background, um, but also how could we potentially help our clients integrate those technologies into their business processes? And where do, where do they start? You know, I think that's a lot of questions that people come through with. So since joining IBM, I've dealt with over, I believe it's now about 300 different client groups that range from anywhere from um, large Fortune 500 companies to smaller, maybe small, medium-sized organizations from all over the world, from Asia to South America, to Europe, to, to North America. Um, and you begin to see a lot of parallels and patterns between um, some of the difficulties and the challenges people are facing when it comes to digital transformation, regardless of industry or company size. So that's sort of my working area, um, but who I am, I guess, as, as a person, I really am passionate about um, sustainability and how technology can be a part of that. Um, and specifically how supply chain can really be a source of um, not just mitigating some of the challenges that we're going to be facing, whether it comes to things like climate change or um, more uh, disruptive climate behaviors, but also how it can be part of the solution. So what I like to do in my free time as well as in, in the office is help guide companies to understand how it is that we need to bring the topics around sustainability outside of corporate social responsibility as a department and into and weave it within to the rest of the, the organization. So that's a little bit about that's me. That's brilliant. <laughs> Wait, so th there's, there's quite a lot I want to talk to you about. So, I mean, you know, the, <laughs> Let's 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 start with digital transformation because you say you mm -hmm. help you help companies with that and, and understand the practicalities mm -hmm. or realistic practicalities around digital transformation. We know that 
a lot of projects fail. A lot of digital transformation projects yeah. fail, number one. Yeah. Number two, even the ones that succeed, I'm hearing from a lot of our members that, well, you know what, it's not lived up to what I expected it to do. It's almost as though okay. they, they believe that digital transformation was going to be this magic bullet that was going to solve all of the problems of the business. <laughs> so I guess I'm asking you to generalize without, you don't have to give specifics unless you want to, but why do you think digital transformation projects fail? Oh man. So there's, there's a couple of different areas that I've seen this occur oftentimes. Um, the first one, which is the one that I love to bring up most often is that every digital transformation project really needs an executive sponsor. So we get a lot of really excited, maybe middle level, upper middle level management that come into our center and are so excited about the potential opportunities that IoT could provide them or blockchain could do. But then when it finally comes to the person who's going to sign on that dotted line or is going to really be the advocate in the boardroom, um, then it falls flat. Yeah. And so um, when clients come, especially in those types of groups, or even when the executive groups uh, come to us to have these types of conversations, one of the things that I like to try to bring up really in kind of the first conversation is who is the executive sponsor and who's, who, who has skin in the game, especially when it comes to this project and who's going to make sure that this, um, that they have the resources and the time and the, and the, not just monetary resources, but the people available to make sure that the project is going to be successful. So I think that that's probably one of the most important areas of digital transformation. Um, and another one is, I think, also attitude towards digital transformation. So people think that, okay, I'm, I'm going to do my digital transformation. It's going to be this project. It's going to start. It's going to finish. And then I'm going to be digitally transformed. But digital transformation is a journey, right? Dur digital transformation is not a linear. It's an ongoing journey, journey well. too. It's, it's, it's an Absolutely. ongoing thing. Yeah. It's an, it's an iterative process that continuously comes back and comes up. And I think, you know, I think that sometimes people get this idea that it's just going to completely revolutionize their organization or that they'll be able to see it is how it revolutionizes in six months to a year. And yep. I think you can absolutely get some quick wins and you need to build quick wins into whatever pilot project you have going or whatever scaling project to make sure that there's still that continuous buy-in from the other levels. But I think that this idea that we're just going to start and then finish and then you're going to be there is kind of setting yourself up already for failure. Do you think that's lack of understanding of what digital transformation is really, or it can be? I, I think, I think in some ways it, it could be, um, I think also companies and organizations in general, especially ones who do digital transformation, be it IBM, be it Microsoft, be it Amazon, be it, I mean, any of these big names, we, they are, we are all very good at latching on to buzzwords. Mm. And so the things like the blockchain and things like the IOT, and then the marketing team runs with that. And they're like, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to IOTize everything. And it's just going to be this whoop, bam, amazing thing. But the reality is that, um, that these are still emerging technologies, right? These are, that means that they are still becoming more and more mature. And so because they are still maturing, there's still going to be areas that still need to be figured out. And so I think sometimes people just maybe have a bit of a, misconception as to the capabilities of the technology today 
and where it could be tomorrow, given enough investment of time and, and money. Um, but also people don't quite necessarily understand um, that a lot of these projects need to start small and you need to really get your minimum viable product. You need to prove it. And those things take time. And then you need to grow and build on top of it. So um, the a perfect analogy that I love to use is that you have to build your cupcake so that you can get a taste of the cupcake, of the of how the of how the frosting is, of how the cake um, is. The texture is, is, you know. The texture before you get the wedding cake. Yeah. Right. You don't want to just necessarily build the wedding cake right off the bat because something could go wrong. But why don't we test something a little bit smaller, then elevate to a birthday cake and then to the final wedding cake, which will be this snazzy thing that you can actually mm -hmm. serve to guests. So the kind of process behind it and the amount of time that it takes is I think sometimes for people who are very numbers driven in the short term, and perhaps don't necessarily have the, the technical understanding of how these types of things work is a little bit harder to grasp. Mm. You've mentioned two things here, you know, why digital transformation projects fail. You, you haven't said it fails because of technology. You've talked about people here. Everything, this is all a people thing. So it's having someone with the skin in the game, having someone who's got the, well, mm -hmm. having a business with the right attitude, I guess the right mindset. And, and this goes probably back I don't know, maybe 20 years even, because, you know, before you'd buy an ERP system and it would come out of the box and you'd put it in and that was a process and that was it. And it either worked or didn't work and what have you. This is a different, different sort of game, Absolutely. isn't it? 100%. And, you know, I, it's actually funny that, that you mentioned the, the people, because I've actually heard in a couple of your other podcasts, you talk really about, I think you really like honing in on that. It's about the people. And it's absolutely true. I think one of my favorite things that I love to say is, the technology is easy, it's people that are hard. Yeah. And so the change management that needs to occur in order to get people on, to, on board with any sort of challenge or any sort of project is, is quite difficult. And people can, but the thing is people can also be your greatest asset. So when you have people, especially who are, who are you know, maybe young and hungry and want to learn and have that they have their mind is still malleable to be able to, to take on new things. I mean, I think that that is in and of itself as well can also be, can also be an asset. Absolutely. So it's, um, it's kind of that, you know, that, that, that double-edged sword, but I think so much of our projects are far less about the technology that we're implementing and it's far more about the people who are going to be using the technology. So we love to talk about AI and how it's going to revolutionize everything but our machine learning models are only as smart as the people who are inputting the data and information into them. And so inherently AI is going to be biased. That's why we need to have certain checks and balances to ensure that, that we um, self-correct or we are able to correct for those types of biases. Um, and if you build a platform, it's going to fall dead in the water if you're not building the user interface that somebody who maybe is not technically savvy would want to use it, right? It doesn't matter how amazing of the things it doesn't, doesn't matter all the information it pulls from your SAP system. If at the end of the day, your logistics guy doesn't use it, then What's that was millions of dollars invested for nothing, right? And well, so or, or more, really important or more importantly, or more importantly, if you don't know what problem you're trying to solve, if you're digitizing for the sake of digitization. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, 100% trying to find a, or trying to solve a problem that doesn't actually exist. Yeah. This happens quite a lot. And it often happens quite a lot when somebody comes in and says, I want blockchain. 
And everyone's like, okay, well, what do you mean by blockchain? You know, like yeah. and if a technology, if you go to technology and goes, I want blockchain. So they go, well, what do you want to use it for? They go, I don't know. I was just told I need to have blockchain. So can yeah. you breathe? Come give it to me. Yeah. And that, unfortunately, sometimes that works. Sometimes they're like, okay, maybe we're onto something. We could find a pretty good use case. But that sort of retroactive thing of being like, is blockchain really the smartest technology for this or for this problem? Or what really is the issue? And that having a really human-centric design, which is something that our design thinking methodology at, at IBM really tries to, to focus on. And any design thinking methodology, I think, is really tries to, to hone in on is who is the user and how are we trying to make their life easier? What are we doing to make their life easier and what kind of business results and business um, benefit can, will we get because of this bettering of the process? So yeah, I hope that answers your question, but yeah, this is a huge, huge thing. Completely. And it's, and it is, it is sort of my bugbear as well, you know, and podcast after podcast that I have, I talk to people about digital transformation, the definition of, you know, digitization, digitalization, what does this mean for this person, that person. And when yeah. it comes down to it, we all realize that if you just digitize for the sake of digitization, you're really not going to solve the problem of, you know, mm -hmm. what am I trying to achieve? What problem do I have? You know, how am I going to make things easier? And, and it's destined to failure. You know, the majority of these projects do fail because of some sort of people element. Um, if you can give examples, uh, can you maybe talk to say companies where you've seen it go well and what they've done? Absolutely. So I think, um, so, so there are a couple different things. And actually one is, is, um, is gonna be an actually interesting um, anecdotal piece because um, we've been working a lot recently um, with our actual IBM internal supply chain. Mm -hmm. So as many people probably remember, IBM was a very, a very hardware heavy company for a really, really long time. My joke was that um, IBM was always the company my friend's parents worked for. It was never going to be the company that necessarily I worked for as a, you know, young 30 something millennial, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And um, in the now of course we have ourselves done very much a lot of transformation we have gone from being a very hardware heavy to a very software and services heavy organization however um our supply chain is still around we're still sending mainframes all over the globe um and it's still a very very strong um a strong example of digital transformation in supply chain and um, so it's been quite interesting talking to the digital transformation team within IBM to figure out what were some of their challenges and what was it that they, they needed to solve and how was it that they were going to solve it. And so we have um, slowly been incorporating different areas of things like I, of technologies like AI, of IoT, of um, using things like chatbots, which is kind of in the realm of AI, um, to help our supply chain um, employees do their job better. And so we actually created our own internal tool um, using a couple of the other different types of IBM technologies we have around that we offer to clients called our um, Cognitive Supply Chain Advisor 360. And it's essentially sort of like a chatbot where mm -hmm. you can actually go in and you can ask it questions about different shipments. So um, it also then can create resolution rooms as well, um, which is another thing. We have other solutions that actually offer this type of thing as well, um, called Sterling, but um, it also has resolution rooms that we can 
if we need to discuss something with maybe a supplier or maybe another person in a different department, then we can bring those people into a single sort of chat room, if you call it, with the AI or Watson, like we like to call it, being a supporting role. So if we are looking that um, one of our mainframes is delayed or something like that, we're trying to figure out where it's needing to go to or why it is being delayed, um, then we can actually ask the system why this is happening or where they are at the location. Um, we've also fitted a lot of our containers and our mainframes with IoT sensors for um, temperature data, for of course humidity sensors um, in case something were to go wrong. So there have been incidences where perhaps it was on a, it got onto the wrong truck in somewhere, I think it was in India, um, and the temperature started to go above a certain threshold. And so we actually called the logistics company who was transporting that um, to figure out what was happening. It turned out it was put, taken into the wrong truck and it wasn't um, acclimatized uh, logistics transport. And you were able to respond to that, and you were able to respond to that quickly. Exactly. And even more importantly, we were actually starting to respond to the COVID-19 crisis in early January because we were getting, um, we were getting uh, alerts from um, different news sources as well um, that was indicating that something was going on and that we needed to take a look at the um, resiliency of, of our supply chain and of where we were getting especially a lot of our um, materials from either the Wuhan area or in Asia in general. So this allowed us, um, and this is also something that we've been trying to build out then for clients as well. It's, um, it's called Risk Insights and basically it takes structured and unstructured data in, um, in, the, in the world. So whether that's um, news sources or social media channels or um, different types of data sources like that and is able to predict potential disruptions and where they're happening so that then we as, or our supply chain manager, whomever it is, what part it is that they are taking care of, can respond quicker than um, waiting for it to become a full-fledged issue. So it's that kind of response time that has been really good. Well, you know, it's funny because um, uh, I keep hearing about, uh, well, you know, AI couldn't have predicted did COVID and uh, although all these great technologies you can't you know are fantastic you can't predict the unpredictable but someone said to me yesterday that uh, in one of the podcasts I was just recording that it's not about predicting the unpredictable it's about responding quicker and being Absolutely. able to being able to re respond quicker and adjust and pivot and, and, and you know be agile enough etc so the fact that you guys were responding around eight, January already you started to, to build your resilient supply chain to, to respond to this is quite quite telling. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about the pandemic now, because clearly we're in the middle of something that is just unprecedented. Mm -hmm. How do you think is that? How has that changed our perception of digital transformation, as well as the speed of change for digital transformation? I think it has accelerated the speed of digital transformation. I think um, you know it's 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 tough, right? So as a company you now realize, I think more people realize now more than ever that they absolutely have to digitally transform. There's just, mm. there's no option. However, we're still in survival mode. And yeah. so a lot of people are wanting to keep that cash close at hand and not invest in digital transformation projects because as you said before, a lot of them fail. So mm -hmm. if you're strapped for cash and you are worried you that don't you're wanna, going to fail. Yeah, you don't wanna take on this big, big project that could potentially fail. And exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's, but there's a big but there. There's a big but. If you don't do it. If you don't do it, then you're going to be left behind. 
and that's the that's unfortunately the the reality and i think that i think that especially with with digital transformation and the speed i think people are now organizations are now beginning to see that they absolutely have to transform even ones that traditionally maybe were very anti-digital transformation for a while I mean, a perfect example is living here in, in Germany. I mean, Germany is quite notorious for being a little bit more analog than a lot mm -hmm. of other, other places. And um, I've never seen more clients interested in digital transformation in the German region than I have now. And mm -hmm. really trying to be like, okay, how are we going to do this? And I think also a big push as well is uh, the consumers too. So I think also it's kind of coming from both ends, right? So you have the CEOs who are being like, we need to be able to survive. How are we going to do that? But also consumers like us as, as individual people, we are far more cognizant of where our items are coming from yeah. and what type of impact they have on the planet. So I know sustainability kind of, kind of has like a little bit of a frou-frou kind of feeling to a lot of people, but I think um, you're starting to see so many more organizations. I think Apple just today released the fact that they were going to become climate neutral by 2030 and help all of their suppliers become climate neutral or something well, along yeah, those lines. It's 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 not frou frou. It's 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 the thing is I think and, and you know I've been in, in supply chain a long time and there's been a conversation around corporate social responsibility and sustainability for a while. Mm. It's just not been actioned. You know, it's just exactly. nothing, nothing's really been done. Now, right now, I think people are starting to realize because generally everyone's talking about it a lot more but equally a lot more of the younger generations are getting consumer mm -hmm. power uh yeah. and uh, you know more dollars contributing to to consumer yeah. you know to, to buying right and so as a result people want to know where their stuff is coming from and what the exactly is. and so with that so if that's is that's a if that's a push both from the consumer level and, and actually from also the regulatory level then you have these types of technologies that can support you in that so like one of my favorite example is this project that IBM Food Trust has done with Carrefour, the major supermarket retailer in, in France, to help them um, to help them diversify or sorry, differentiate their um, private label brands in the shop. So they have allowed customers to go in and using a QR code, track and trace the origin of that food directly to wow. the farmer. And so there are a couple of foods. It's still, um, it's, they're, they're still working on adding more and more foods to the, to the bank. But what's very cool is, and what they've seen is the total uptick in the, in the amount of private label foods from Carrefour that people have been purchasing because they see that as transparent and trustful. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, and what was interesting is that even when they took it off of the packaging, they still saw that uptick and maintained um, purchasing of Carrefour private label brands. And so as a test to see whether or not this was actually just a fluke or if this was something that was actually of interest. And I think, especially in Europe, I think that that is a huge focus area is people have a huge interest especially when it comes to track and trace and things like blockchain, which is very much underpinned track and trace. Um, consumers in Europe have a very big interest in product provenance and understanding where their, where their things are coming from. Are they coming from sustainable locations? Are they, are social and human rights issues in question? Yeah. Are we ensuring that we are not digging up half the earth for the rare earth minerals that are coming into our, you know, batteries, those types of questions, I think, are I, I think it's becoming 
as well in the U.S., but I think Europe and really there's a really big push um, from consumers I've seen um, that have this interest. And things like blockchain especially yeah. can support people doing that, not just having the access to the information in real time in a way that you know is going to be trustworthy, that is not going to be tampered with but also as a way to actually reach out closer to your end customer, which is, I think, a, what a lot of organizations are also trying to figure out how can we do. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think it's the, the, the winds of change, right? You know, so before mm -hmm. this was something that people talked about. Now people are actually actioning this. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the conversations I've been having recently since the pandemic have been about the opportunities that the pandemic have created to redesign the supply chain. Uh, to, to look at the current business models of the previous business models and mm -hmm. evolve. Do you think we have an opportunity now to look at more, say, uh, well, apart from the obviously building a resilient supply chain, but building a supply chain that's perhaps more circular, building a, you know, based Absolutely. on a circular, circular economy, looking at more sustainable business models. You know, do you think that right now we have that opportunity? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the thing that I've been talking to clients a lot about recently is, never has COVID or brought, or never has an incident in the world brought so many challenges and never have we had so many opportunities yeah. because when things break, you have the opportunity to rebuild. I mean, that's like basically, you know, if your house burns down, you get to rebuild it the way that you yeah. potentially want yeah. it. And so if you can survive through, then this is, I think, the critical turning point for clients to figure out what areas do I need to really rethink and how can I start to bring in those concepts of like circular economy into my system to truly make a sustainable supply chain? And the, that word sustainable has been, I think, quite greenwashed over the last couple of years. But if we take a look at the tradition, like of what exactly sustainable means, it means the ability to continue going on as you are, right? Yeah. And so, and I think- It's not some sort of radical departure you know? No, I, I just want to literally sustain my ability continue, to continue growth. I mean, that mm -hmm. to me is, is quite simple. And the way to do that, the reality is we have finite resources here. And so we need to figure out how do we not only use those finite resources on the planet effectively and efficiently, but how do we also make sure that um, we are disposing of those things, that we are getting all of the energy and the value out of those things. So even if we're manufacturing something, what is the byproduct? What is the waste? And how could that be then put into a different loop? Um, you know, how are we ensuring that the, the products that we are making are that the supplies that are being used or the raw materials are coming from a sustainable source that then could that then we can put back in to the system and have more inputs the next time around? Because right now we're kind of just going and then all of a sudden it's just dropping off. Whereas this yeah. we need to continue to create those inputs if we are going to have any chance of remaining sustainable, as in remaining um actually functioning as a as an entire system so i think that circular economy especially um is extremely extremely important and circular supply chain really sits at the heart because it's not yeah. going to be possible with without it we're going to have to figure out those like reverse logistics systems we're going to have to figure out how do we actually dispose of waste how do we get back those byproducts and get them into potentially other loops that might be able to use them and the supply chain of an organization, supply chain experts are going to be absolutely critical in that transformation. I, we will not be able to do it without them. 
And well, and this is again where people's attitudes, going back to your earlier points, people's attitudes are going to be extremely important here. And also who has skin in the game? Who wants to drive this? Who wants to, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? Going back to exactly. product provenance, you know, the consumer demand is there. Cons you know, the consumers mm -hmm. are dictating to some degree this kind of, uh, this kind of change and businesses mm -hmm. either rise up to it and stay relevant or uh, they risk any kind of uh, loss of competitive advantage, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think for a really long time, organizations were waiting for the for the regulations for the politics to basically catch up. But I think what they are starting to realize is that there is massive innovation opportunity and ability to capture a, a market share that maybe they traditionally exactly. wouldn't have been able to capture if they are able to speak to the potentially younger generation who are now um, gaining more and more purchasing power. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of, of, of organizations are really having to, to rethink how their systems are being done. And a lot of things are being disruptive, but I think that if they are able to hone in on some of the interests um, as it relates to product provenance or, or um, more sustainable source, I mean, it's not only good for for the marketing budget, mm -hmm. you know, it's not only good for like the the view of the society of the company, but it also can lead to massive innovation because if you have yes. to create a material that is going to be biodegradable, yeah. you could potentially create something that is a entirely new idea that a, a competitor wouldn't even be able to touch. And that I think is where the, the innovation lies. And so people should be taking that on not being drugged along the way by whatever um, regulations there are from the government perspective or things like that. And let's go back to technology for just a second. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, you know, part of your remit is to look at the exciting new technology that's out there. But what kind of technology are you most excited about right now? I am really excited. You know, I am really excited about blockchain. And I like, and I, I think black, like, blockchain kind of has like one of those things that hasn't really lived up to the hype and the reality is we're finding better and better use cases for it the area that is, I, it, sorry, is it is it probably because most people don't understand it i think yeah i think so i think that's exactly what it is they're like oh blockchain this is going to be amazing this is going to be great like we have to have it and there's still there's some areas that it's really good one of which to to me which is really where kind of my personal passion lies is is in the food industry and so, you know, really being able to help um, companies be able to track and trace and consumers track and trace where their food is coming from, ensuring that it's coming from a, you know, a, a sustainable and ethical location. Um, I think blockchain as, as a technology that allows you to ensure that what you are getting is actually what you are getting and yeah. to be able to instantaneously trace back where something is coming from. Um, I think, especially in the food system, this has massive, massive implications. Um, and I think it will help people be much, much more aware of where their food is coming from. And I think it also allows us to, to see along the value chain and see how many players are involved. I think so many people think that all of a sudden you buy something on the internet or you go to the supermarket and it just shows up there as it is. But with something with technology like blockchain and having that transparency along the supply chain, 
you then have, have a little bit of a closer connection to the farmer who was yeah. growing those items or to the factory worker who was sewing those, those, that clothing. And I think that type of connection as a consumer is extremely empowering. And, um, and as a company, if you're willing to open up that transparency, then you tap into these groups of people who want to know these types of things and you get more visibility yourself. I think blockchain offers opportunity for much better collaboration and these ecosystem, these ecosystem play that people are building these, these, this collaboration tool between maybe traditionally organizations that wouldn't have had much to do with each other are now sharing data, sharing information that allows everybody as a unit to excel forward. And I think that that's really easy. It's not so much about me and you. It's about how do we help us continue the growth. And I think technology, especially like blockchain, is really helping enable that. Well, it, would, it seems to take a lot of boxes, doesn't it? It seems to be able to, you know, implement new fantastic technology, help gain visibility, you know, transparency, which will help build a supply, a, a resilient supply chain, which also mm -hmm. speaks to the needs of your consumers and, and uh, the kind of uh, demands that they're making around sustainability. So it's, it's, it sounds exciting. Um, now, I've got a question for you. I've always believed that supply chain has a bit of an image issue. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think that, I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I didn't get, have my counselor say, you know what, you really should get into supply chain, especially yeah. attracting young people and attracting diverse backgrounds. How did you get into supply chain? So the, <laughs> it's really funny that you say that. I had one class on supply chain at university. That was, that was it. And I'm pretty sure it was the typical linear supply chain. You learn about procurement, you learn about fulfillment. I mean, I can't even tell you who my professor's name was, to be honest. Yeah. I fell into supply chain actually through the sustainability side because so, um, you know, I, I mentioned before, I do a lot of this on, on this side. So I'm a part of a lot of organizations um, that focus on business as a force for good. This is outside of IBM and um, how it is that we can help bring these types of topics about sustainability into outside of corporate responsibility and into the fabric of every single department within the organization. And um, I had joined IBM and was, I came in through the, obviously the technology side. So I was very interested in IoT and blockchain and AI, all these kind of fancy, fancy cool things that everyone was talking about these days. And when I took a look at my interest in sustainability and I took a look at my interest in technology, I saw that the place that they met that was the most complicated was supply chain. Yeah. And so supply chain, is and I say there I do say this quite often it's a bit unsexy like yeah, there's, there's I, I a, say that too yeah right there's a lot of data like there's a lot of document transfer there's yeah. a lot of like you know a warehousing lot of logistics trucks you know exactly. all that kind of exactly but I think that you know if it's kind of the the sort of area or the reasoning or uh, ulterior motive behind your question is how do companies as supply chain or like um the heads of supply chain attract young talent. I think it's through these innovation projects yeah. because then all of a sudden it becomes cool. It's not just about working with your SAP system or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it's about, you know, how can we use AI to not augment human capabilities or sorry, not to um, replace, replace the artificial, but to augment. Yeah. 
um, yeah. people's uh, people's ability to help make their jobs easier. I think in that area, that is almost like a a cherry on top of any sort of innovation project that a supply chain officer would be looking to implement. Not only would they get better operational efficiency or um, be able to reduce costs, but they could also attract really young and in, 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 in diverse talent, hungry talent. Yeah, and diverse talent that perhaps would have gone to work at a startup or gone to work in Silicon Valley or something like that, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's what's going to set you up for a competitive advantage down the line as well. I think that's what I was trying to, obviously, you read, you yeah. saw through my question. You know, <laughs> uh, the, the, I think we have an supply chain as an image issue, not because it is a bad pos, uh, position. I wouldn't be in. I, I love supply chain. I think supply mm -hmm. chain is really exciting. That's my point is that. It, we are, there's probably so much innovation that's going on right now. So much excitement. So the, now with the pandemic, giving you the possibility to redesign a supply chain in Absolutely. the way that is going to be, you know, that's going to be sustainable and live on uh, in, in a fantastic way. I think we probably don't do ourselves enough justice uh, right now in, in articulating the value mm -hmm. that supply chain has as a profession. Yeah. And I, th I think so too. And, and I think as well, um, really trying to hire diverse people will really help as well, because I think supply chain today is still very much male dominated yeah. and very yeah. much, um, you know, and I think, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think that when you see more and more diversity in tech, if you can somehow implement that into your supply chain, more and more people will become interested yeah. in in the topics and, and when, yeah and, when and more ideas talking, and more ideas come to the exactly. table you know and more innovation exactly and when we stop just talking about how do i get this book or this thing from one person to another and we start connecting people along the supply chain so that we actually care about each other that we you connect the consumer to the farmer or from the the warehouser to you know to the farmer or whomever it is then we then we have we all then have skin in the game and so i think that that's why transparency and using these types of technologies and these these um focusing on areas around sustainability and stuff like that can actually have it kind of ticks a lot of boxes and it, it kills yeah. a lot of birds with sort of yeah. one stone, I guess you could say. Yeah, you could. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for participating in FinTV and for being part in, uh, of this conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. Great. And for those of you watching, we'll see you in the next episode of FinTV. Thank you.